Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. How's everybody doing today? Thanks for tuning back into the Life After Business podcast. Today, I'm excited for our guest. His name is Chris Snyder. Chris is not just the owner of the Exit Planning Institute, but he's also a new author of the book called Walking to Destiny, and he also owns multiple other businesses within his portfolio today and has been exposed and part of many transitions and transactions within the small to medium-sized marketplace. In this interview, we get straight to the source of Exit Planning. What is Exit Planning Institute? What is the mission? And what is the market going to be doing over the next five to 10 years? So I hope you enjoy the interview because we got straight to the source and thought leader of the exit planning industry. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Hi, Ryan. I'm doing well. Thanks. Thank you for coming on the Life After Business podcast today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So our listeners are going to be keenly in tune to our interview today because of your credentials, your background, and the the topic that you represent. So why don't you just give everybody a little bit of a brief background on you, where you came from, and then how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I, uh, uh, it really, I started out really with a 20-year a uh, career in, as a corporate person, a corporate executive, working my way up through the corporate ranks to a C-level executive of a $2.5 billion company. And and but a real pivoting moment came for me in the late '90s, and I joined a middle market company, uh, which was family owned. It was doing about 90 million when I joined it, and three years later we were doing 265 million dollars, and we sold that company to a large multinational. And uh, that experience was really compelling for me uh, because it almost became a quest for me to determine. You know, could we repeat that success? And it was highly I write about it in my book. I call it the perfect exit. Um, so I had left that company after staying on with the corporate company for a while. I just once I had a taste for middle market, I I really couldn't go back to the corporate boardroom anymore. And uh, I felt I had a formula for growth that I had developed over many years and. Uh, I, I decided to uh, run a, try it out in a couple of small businesses, which were also highly successful. And then I launched my own practice in 2006. Um, and that practice revolved around value growth initially. But when you're growing a business, you also, um, you know, you're, you're not just growing organically, you want to look at acquisitions as well. And so in addition to doing the value growth services, we added buy side services, sell side services. But one of the things that I felt was missing was uh, owners were getting, as we were sort of bringing them to the goal line, I could see the emotion and the psychology behind the exit. Um, and that was probably even more important than, than the value that we were bringing to the owner. And I ran into EPI at that time. And I, I, I really uh, liked the model, which was, you know, aligning personal financial goals as well as business goals. And I went out and got certified in 2008 and uh, then integrated 
you know, the EPI model into my practice at that time. And then, uh, you know, from there, it became a real compelling passion. And um, I had an opportunity to buy the company in 2012, uh, which I formed a, a family investment company called Snyder Premier Growth with my son, who actually runs EPI now. And uh, we bought EPI. And uh, one of the things that I felt was needed in the industry was the industry, in fact, many still do this, you know, they talk about a plan, but owners don't want plans. What they want is they want action and they want results. And so we the introduced, quick hit, the, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to, you know, you can't, uh, you, 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 you know, you can't just plan, you have to do. And so if you can get in there with a more of a management system rather than a plan, and demonstrate results rather quickly, um, you're going to hang around and you'll be able to, you know, sort of mentor and influence the owner's direction, including their exit, uh, if you're doing that. And so we introduced value acceleration methodology. And uh, now the SEPA program kind of revolves around the uh, management, more of a developing a management system that always makes you ready. So why don't you, there's a lot to dive into there and I love the background and you've got just a, a huge depth of experience, which I think is a great piece and a key quality of, a, of the leader of a, the association that you run. So why don't you give everybody a little bit of a, a brief overview of what EPI or Exit Planning Institute is, kind of the mission behind it, and then you know what inspired you to, to go all in and purchase it? Yeah, so one of the things, it might be a, a sort of a minor point, but you know, we don't view ourselves as an association. Um, it kind of started that way, um, but the way we view uh, our customers, we view you know, uh, what you would typically call members, we view them more as customers. And our job is to provide a compelling platform for them to launch their practices. And, um, and so our job is to really provide them the resources and the platform and the practice development support uh, to enable them to produce revenue and do well by their clients. Um, and so um, that's really, you know, what we're, that was really a, a change in the direction of EPI once we bought it. And the reason I went, you know, all in on it is, is this has become a real passion of mine because, you know what we're facing. I know you know some of these statistics, but I don't know if the audience is is. Oh, they're good statistics. Connected. So go for it. Yeah, there's six million privately held businesses in the U.S. market today. Two thirds of those businesses are owned by baby boomers, of which within eight years, all baby boomers will be over sixty years old, and they are facing a uh, uh, retirement. I mean, there's just. You know, a quote I like to use is uh, LeBron James, whether you like him or not, uh, understands. And he, one of his quotes is, "Father, time is undefeated." And so you, you, it's it's coming. And even though boomers are holding on to their businesses longer, uh, they are facing uh, their inevitable exit from their business and into their third act. We want that third act to be just as fulfilling and maybe even more fulfilling. We call it the best act. Uh, but they are going to need the resources and the wealth that they have in their businesses. So you've got, uh, in, in our research since 2013, Ryan, in survey after survey of owners, 
three out of four owners say they want to uh, transition out of their businesses in the next 10 years. That represents about four and a half million privately held businesses and over $10 trillion of wealth. It's the largest wealth transfer ever. And the success rates today are only about 20 or 30 percent. And, you know, our mission is, is really can be summed up in three words. We want to change the outcome. We have to improve uh, owners' abilities to achieve and, and monetize the wealth that they've worked so hard to build into their businesses. And that's really um, what, why we're developing the programs and the platform we have to enable uh, our customers, our members, to be able to offer those kinds of services to help the owners achieve those objectives. I love it because you obviously know from my background that I've got some major bias about the whole process and what we missed. And that's how I yeah. stumbled upon you guys and the staggering numbers and knowing that there we weren't the only people that dealt with it. And what, would you give us a little bit of an explanation? Because there was one really key piece that I really liked about your guys' mission, which is the three legs of the stool, as you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about that third act because... I think it's, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are very technical, and mm-hmm. this is a piece that gets totally overlooked. And mm-hmm. why, don't you, why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of the three legs of this duel? Yeah, this was a concept created by Peter Chrisman, who is the founder of EPI. And he uh, describes the three legs in his book called The Master Plan, which, you know, is something that I would recommend our readers take a look at. Um, and the three legs are basically to have a successful transition, you need to address the, the three legs of the stool. That being, one, you need to make sure that the owner has planned for their third act or their best act. What are they going to do next? And, and the second thing is you have to make sure that the owner has planned financially outside the business through estate planning and tax planning to maximize the net proceeds at the time of exit. And then the third leg is the business leg, which means uh, focusing on maximizing the value of that business. And so in order to have a successful transition, you need to make sure that all three legs are addressed. And Chrisman came up with the the idea of the stool because, you know, if one of those legs is missing, that stool won't stand. And if one of those legs is shorter than the other, it's wobbly at best. And so his analogy to that is the, the, you know, the three legs of the stool. They all have to be addressed equally in order to have a successful transition. So where in your process or, or the, the methodology that you're teaching do you address the third act? I mean, because it's the third act, but it's usually one of the things that's top of the mind or that has to be addressed even before you dive into the more technical stuff. Yeah, and this is what's challenging, I think, for advisors who, I talk a lot about left brain, right brain thinking, um, and you know owners are right brained, so they they think more holistically. They think in concepts, uh, things that are interactive with them or more strategic with them uh, are going to appeal to them. But most advisors are technical; they're left brained. They think in terms of sequences and analytics uh, and process. And so uh, oftentimes what happens is the advisors are just more naturally inclined to proceed right into the solution without really getting into the mind of the owner and understanding the owner, 
which is what's going on. You know, I, I point to my, my head and my heart, what's going on in the head and the heart of the owner. Um, and it's the most difficult thing for advisors to address because they just haven't really been trained and they don't necessarily have the skills for that. So what we, what we try to do in approaching that is uh, a key thing we teach also at SEPA is team play. So you may not have those particular skills, but you need to surround yourself with people who do have those skills. And there are lots of professionals that know how to get into the heart and mind of the owner. The other way to deal with it is if you, if you have studied our methodology, we show in the prepare gate that there's two concurrent paths. One is personal and financial. I like to group those together because they're so interrelated. And the other one is business. Advisors tend to focus on the business and forget about the personal financial stuff, but both areas have to be addressed in the prepare stage. And what I recommend to advisors is start with your strengths. Um, you know, first of all, you got to get to know the owner before you start proposing solutions. But then once you do get into a solution, go with you know go where the where the owner will take you. Normally, they'll they'll invite you in to help them with their business and jump on that opportunity. Uh, because once the owner gets to know you and trust you, you can start having some of those more sensitive discussions about the personal side. Other owners are really, you know, they're ready to talk about it, but I wouldn't force it. You got to kind of let that, let that come naturally. So I think that you hit on a bunch of great pieces there. So, you know, our owners or our listeners are a lot of, of business owners too. So when they're sitting there, you know, and I dealt with this very, very much in my business where you got all these technical people across and it's up to the business owner to piece it all together. So mm -hmm. if you're the, if you're an owner, what are the questions that you should be asking or how should you help build this team and what does the team look like that would equal this successful plan? That, that's a really, that's a great question. And I, um, first of all, I'd say, think about, you know, at our summit, we had an owner's panel, which you and your dad were on. And the, the, I thought the compelling message from the owners on that panel to the advisors who we teach was get to know us first. So, um, you know, when you're meeting an advisor, the first thing I would do, because uh, I'm an owner myself, invested in eight businesses, uh, is, you know, is this advisor jumping into solutions right away or are they trying to get to know me? Um, that's going to be your first clue as to whether or not this advisor gets it. Um, once you, if they do make that effort to try to get to know you and rather than sell you, uh, then the next questions you want to find out is, do you have a process? What's your process? And if they have a process, ask them to show it to you. So you guys know that I, you know, when I meet with owners, I have, uh, I don't force it on them, but when they're ready, I can show them the value acceleration methodology and I can show them how we actually implement a management system that will establish value now and set you up to be able to exit your business, whether it's, that's on your terms or not. Um, so ask to see the process. If they say yes, ask them to detail, ask them to show you the process, ask them to, to what I was saying is take the long view and ask them to walk you through how this thing is going to go. And are they able to articulate it? And then beyond that, Ask them to share some stories with you. Do you have any ex examples you can give me? Share some stories. Uh, do you have owners that you've taken through this before? So I get into the weeds with them a little bit and find out if they really know what they're talking about. Because there's a lot of people out there that say they do, 
exit planning or value acceleration, but they don't take the holistic approach that's needed to be successful. Um, and then the final thing I would do is ask them to show you specific products. So when I'm with my clients, I will actually show them things like term sheets and, and project plans and strategic plans. I actually show them examples and I'll tell them, ask whoever else you're talking to to show you this kind of detail. Perfect. So speaking of stories, would you, because I mean, you've been a part of a lot of building value and then exiting, whether it's your current businesses or the ones that led you to this path that you're on, explain like how, when you were in the buyer's seat, how did you guys go about building that plan and building the team? And just, I don't know if you kind of want to just give us a quick little rundown of one of the stories. Of the, of the buy side team? Of the, when you were in the process of, cause you, you, you grew that one company very large, you know, from yeah. was it 90 to 250, but then, yeah. you know, you said there was a couple other ones that you were experienced yeah. or had, uh, the direct, um, story, yeah. I guess, to share to the owners. Yeah. So after, uh, uh, the company that I was working with called, was a company called Flexaloy, um, that we sold, I, I, what I wanted to see, because most of my background have been in big corporate and sort of middle market, I wanted to see if, it, if the process could be scaled for smaller businesses. And the company that I joined was a technology company that was doing about $4.5 million when I joined it. And, and three years later, we were doing 12.2. And um, it was a, I can sort of say, it was a tech company. When I joined it, I'd say it was, it was mostly a commodity so if you're familiar with tech companies at all, what they were doing is selling developers. So I'd get a call from a bank and they'd say, I need a Microsoft developer. Um, you know, and how much are you going to charge me? And I'd say, it's 70 bucks an hour. And they'd call me, they'd say, well, I need it at 65. You know, so you're in a commodity type business. We knew we had to get out of commodity type business and build intangible value into the company where we were offering more than just uh, a commodity type product. So we did a lot of re-engineering in, in, in that. What we did is we ended up breaking the company into segments. Uh, we put a uh, practice leader in each of the different segments. Each segment had a, their own separate P&L. Uh, we had a strategic solutions group. And basically what we began selling is we weren't selling developers. We were selling solutions. So if uh, a large bank like KeyBank would come to us <clears throat> and say, I want to implement a new customer service system, can you give me a Microsoft developer, we would take the approach of what are you trying to accomplish from a business standpoint and let us supply you a team that will deliver this solution and will deliver this solution for X amount of money. So there's, a, uh, there's a, an author that I love, <clears throat> a book called The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace T. Waddles. If you've ever read it, something I would recommend notes. you. Yeah, I would recommend reading it. And what he talks about in the book is <clears throat> give every man more in use value than you take from him in cash value. So that if you're, if you're, if you're providing uh, additional value add for a customer beyond what you're charging them. So what we were really doing for, for these banks is we were helping them set up online banking systems that were generating significant revenue and profits well beyond what we were charging them in our services and you know, we were giving them more in use value than they, were being, than they were being charged in cash value. And so when you build that kind of intangible value into your solutions, you, you, build, you, you build a valuable company. 
because so now we you became, got a valuable company. So where did the conversation go? Did you guys intend to do that to sell it, or was it the selling and the the process of exiting after that? Like, what where in the process did that come? See, that's a that's another really good question because this is one of the fallacies of exit strategies in that the way the way you build a business that is transferable or what, what we have coined transferability is to build a successful business today and so rather than focus on somewhere down the road I'm going to exit the real focus needs to be on what am I going to do today to build value into the business that will deliver results today and make my business valuable uh, so that it can be transitioned down the road. So when we were building that tech company, we were we had an exit uh, in mind uh, somewhere down the road. But our main focus was to just build a strong, growing, valuable business that had a dominant position in the marketplace. And then we knew uh, that at some point, either the owner would want to exit, but this owner was pretty young. But more so, uh, we were going to have a lot of people chasing us uh, that would want to buy our business at a premium. And the same thing happened, you know, at Flexalite. We built, uh, you, know, you read about that. I give a case study in my book about what we did at Flexalite. And so your focus really needs to be on just building a strong business. The, you know, like what we talk about is exit strategy is really nothing more than strong business strategy. Mm-hmm. And if you build a strong business... You take the you make the timing of the exit irrelevant. So, where did the triggering point happen on that specific business that you were mentioning? It happened about five years after I joined it, and it sold for sixty million dollars. Holy buckets! Yeah, I'd say a job well done. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It, and it wasn't just you know. I mean, obviously, not just me. It was the yeah. team. Yeah. So you know, part of it was you know. I, in my book, I talk about. The four C's, the four intangible capitals. One of those, uh, most most business value is not tied up in tangible capital. It's in intangible capital. So if you look at a company's multiple, let's say a company trades at six times EBITDA, you might one or two times might be at tangible assets, but you're looking at more like four or five times is intangible value. And what's intangible value? Well, it's things like deep customer relationships, uh, recurring revenue, uh, uh, highly cultivated uh, uh, talent, uh, strong structural capital, and great cultures. That's what really builds value into a business. So what happens is if you just build your business with those characteristics, you're going to have lots of opportunities and options to exit when you're ready. But most business owners that I work with don't want to exit their businesses. And they want to hold them as long as they can. And, but the, the fact of the matter is that 50% of exits are not on the owner's timeline or terms. They're, they're impacted by some outside event that forces them into an exit. If you're already building a business that has a strong and tangible value uh, and you're forced into that situation, you're not going to lose everything. In fact, you'll still sell at a premium. If you decide you want to hold the business, uh, you can hold the business for quite a long time because uh, if you've built that kind of value into a business, the business isn't dependent on you anymore. And it's spitting out a bunch of cash. And in the meantime, it's spitting out a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> which isn't a bad thing. No, it's not at all. Um, so 
another piece of that. So you've got the value, the you know, you're building the value of your business, and there, whether the business owner plans to leave now or later, like you said, start today building the value of the business. But then, as you start to near that exit, you know, there's one, you know, a couple of things that EPI really emphasizes, which I love, which is building the right advisory team, and then yes. understanding what that second outcome is. So. Can you describe for our listeners and the owners that are listening, who would be included in that advisory team and what kind of quality should you be looking for? So if you, if you rolled through the methodology, what happens is there's, there's, there's three gates, you know, there's what we call discover. The second gate is prepare. And the third gate is decide. And in discover, you're really identifying what your present value is and what the potential value is if the business were be, were to be operating at best in class in the prepare gate you're you're working on implementing those two tracks you've got financial and personal things that you're implementing and you have business improvements that you're implementing and you're implementing those things in short what i call 90 day sprints and you're recalibrating every 90 days and that's an indefinite cycle you can hold the business as long as you want and continue to build value the third gate is is decide and that's when you have to sort of ask yourself what we recommend is that every 90 days you ask yourself, do I want to keep growing or do I want to exit? Because depending on which way you decide to go in the longer term uh, will impact what kind of risk you're taking on, what kind of investments you're making into the business and how you position the business. As you move through that process, that management system, and as your business evolves, there will be all kinds of different advisors that, that and even stakeholders because it's not just advisors, you've got community, you've got employees, management, family, people will be moving in and out of that process. From the advisor standpoint, you know, your core team is going to be an attorney, a financial planner or wealth manager, a CPA, and what we call a value advisor. The value advisor is the quarterback of that team, and they, they work with the owner, they have the owner's back, they make sure the project stays on budget and on track, they work with the management team, and they sort of act as sort of like the project manager and get all the resources in and out of the process in an efficient way. Um, but there's tons of other advisors that could be in and out of the process depending on what stage of the management system you're in. You could have insurance people. Uh, you're going to have – you might even have some family counselors. You may have investment bankers, ESOP specialists. So the role of the value advisor, which is what a SEPA is, is to understand the right resources at the right time, know how those resources are supposed to bill, what they should cost, what value they bring, and to recommend to the owner uh, when those people should be brought in. Because owners are busy running their businesses, and they don't really understand that whole process. And their best option is to bring somebody in that does understand that and that person will easily uh, pay for themselves because they know they know when is the right time and what people should be charging you to do it. Well, right, because I mean, I mean, I remember sitting on the other side of the table and there's all these technical people that are just spitting off all these products or, you know, right. or scope of works or contracts and I'm like, hey man, I can deliver IT services like none other, but I don't know what that is. <laughs> Exactly. I'm in fact, when you IT specifically, I have many owners come to me uh, and say, you know, my IT people, uh, I they they're talking, but I have no idea what they're saying. I can't understand <laughs> right. anything they're saying. Can you interpret for me? We used to call a lot it, of them ask me that because I used to be in IT. Right, right. We used to call it techno tennis. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> Just help me, you know? <laughs> right. I love it. Um, okay, a couple more things. Uh, you wrote a book called Walking to Destiny. Um, yeah. Awesome book. It, it wraps a lot of the stuff up in there. Uh, up in a you know a few hundred page book, which is great. What inspired you to write to write the book? Well, I felt you know there's there's a lot of literature out there about exit planning, but like I said earlier, most of it is all focused on building a plan for the future. And you know my view of it is very different, maybe because of my business background and, or the fact that I'm an owner. <clears throat> you know, my theory was you need to bring exit planning into the present and integrate it into what you do every day. And there, I didn't feel like there was a, really any good literature uh, in regards to how to view exit planning as a business strategy or a management system. So um, I wrote the book um, for business owners um, as if I was having a counseling or, you know, a one-on-one -on -one session with a business owner and was coaching them through the process. And the, uh, the, uh, uh, I also felt one of the things that was missing is how to do it. So I like concepts and theories as well, you know, but I've always been an implementer. So it's like, yeah, that sounds like a great theory, a great concept, but how do I actually do it? Like, what do I do tomorrow and next quarter? And, and, and so, um, as you read the book, it starts out general with here's what's going on in the market because most business owners don't even understand some of the things we talked about before that we've got we're going to have this rush to to market with millions of businesses coming to market, and then I the second section really talks around the four core concepts that you need to understand and buy into in order to be successful. And the four C's, you know, intangible capitals is one of them. The five stages of value maturity is another one. The three legs, and the fourth one is relentless execution. You know, you can talk all you want, but you, you got to have a system that that focuses on uh, that's grounded in action. And then the last section is the detailed section. Says, okay, here's how you do it. Here's how you actually step through it. And that's the piece that I felt was really missing in the market. It sounds great, but tell me what I need to do. Step one, step two, step three. Right, and you know what I, I absolutely loved about it is, and what you guys do at EPI is. This is not about the transaction. It's about a ongoing plan. <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, we were talking before that we got started here about Sean Hutchinson, uh, who was our keynote speaker at the summit, and, and I thought he did a good job of um, of summing it up. He said, "You know, it's not a transaction. What it is is a transformation." So, if you really think about what's happening with the business owner, our lives, you know, revolve around our businesses. Um, you know, there are, there are many cases our lives work and, you know, we spend untold hours working 24 seven job and for us to separate from that and move into another stage of life that doesn't have us in the middle of things, that's a transformation. That's not a transaction. And so, you know, you've heard the statistics, 75% of business owners profoundly regret the decision to exit a year after exiting. That's not because of financial reasons. Usually it's because they don't have anything that's as fulfilling as their business anymore. And so working on the transformation plan and what you're going to do next is probably the most important thing you can do, but it's the least addressed of the three legs. So what do you think, based on that and kind of piggybacking off that, what do you think the biggest challenges that you see business owners as they're trying to wrap their heads around this? 
What do I think is the biggest challenge? What do you think the biggest, yeah, what do you think the biggest challenge is that as owners are trying to work on this transformation, where's the biggest hang up? Well, where's their identity after the business, you know, beyond the business? Where's their identity? The, the, um, the example I, I gave at, at, at yesterday's uh, Wisconsin chapter launch is my own father. So my father was a, he's a traditionalist. He was uh, born in the Depression. Um, he became a banker and an attorney. And um, he would go to the bank in the morning. He'd come home at 5 o'clock to have dinner with the children. We had seven kids in our family. And he'd have dinner. And then he'd go up to his uh, office or slash bedroom. Because uh, remember, he's a traditionalist. He didn't have his own office then. He'd set up a card table in his bedroom. And he'd work till 11 o'clock. And uh, that's pretty much what he did his whole life. So when it came time for him to leave, uh, he was sore, he was lost. He didn't have anything else to do. And so what he started to do is uh, he decided, I guess, he was going to try to take over the household, and he started telling my mother what to do. Ooh, that probably didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> I can still remember my mother saying, "Richard, don't tell me how to run my house." But the you know the the problem was he didn't have anything else to do, and so I think the biggest challenge that owners have to really uh, face is, you know, what else is fulfilling in their life or could be as fulfilling as their business once they have extracted the wealth and they can do anything they want, um, what are they going to do? I love it. So if you were one of our listeners and a business owner, what's the one thing you would do next to start yeah, now this is because <clears throat> I've been asked that question a lot, and I'm I'm going to give you a technical answer, okay? But it is the one thing I think you should do. So, one of the things that we teach in the methodology is the process always starts, you know, and the five stages of value maturity starts with identifying value, and that means that you go through the process of conducting a business valuation. And uh, you also conduct what we call a personal financial and business assessment. So you're addressing all three legs. And you will be scored uh, on a scale of one to six in each one of those categories. And then based on your score, your advisor will be able to place you into a range of value. So all businesses trade in a range of, say, let's say it's three to eight times EBITDA. Based on your score, you're going to be placed into that range. So if you score below average, you know, let's say you, you get placed at a four, and you'll know what the value of your business is. But the good news is that the advisor will be able to tell you exactly what you need to do to get your business to a six or a seven or maybe even an eight. And out of that, you're going to have a whole list of stuff you can start to work on. And then what you want to do with the value advisor is sit down and say, okay, let's pick three to five things we're going to work on in the next quarter and we take a long view and we just start chipping away at it every 90 days. But the reason I, I say it starts with that identifying value, that discovery event, is you got to know where you are right now. You know, you can't prescribe until you've diagnosed. So uh, you got to know where you are and what your strengths and weaknesses are. And once you as, uh, know where you're at, then you can start building a plan to get you where you want to be. Awesome, Chris. Lots of words of advice and wisdom. A lot of experience that you just brought to uh, a quick, short little interview. And I very much appreciate you coming on the show. 
Thanks, Ryan. You're, uh, I appreciate it too. And, and uh, have fun with your dad. You're, you know, your dad's in his third act. Right. I love it. <laughs> All right.